Hi, and welcome to The Turbulent World, with me, James M. Dorsey, as your host. Libya has figured prominently in recent headlines. These days, it's floods that have devastated eastern Libya and killed as many as 2,000 people, days after a catastrophic earthquake rocked Morocco. Like much else, what starts in Libya doesn't stay in Libya. It reverberates far beyond the North African country's borders. With two rival governments, both supported by external players, Libya has been in turmoil since the 2011 popular Arab revolt that toppled Colonel Muammar Gaddafi. Each of the rival governments is supported by external players. Eastern Libya is controlled by rebel leader Field Marshal Khalifa Haftar, while Western Libya is governed by an internationally recognized government in Tripoli. The floods could not have occurred at a worse moment for Haftar. The short-lived mutiny in June by the Wagner Group has cast a shadow over Russian backing for the rebel leader. Add to this, recent protests following a controversial meeting in Rome between the foreign ministers of Libya and Israel. The protests raised the specter of a disconnect between Middle Eastern governments and public opinion as the United States seeks to engineer the establishment of diplomatic relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Libya, alongside Algeria, Syria, and Lebanon, may be the least likely candidate to normalize its relations with Israel, in part because of the influence of Islamists and militants in a country that is as much ruled by rival governments as it is by militias. Overall, Libya may not be the most influential player in the Middle East, but the impact of what happens in Libya resonates across the region and beyond, frequently impacting the domestic policies of countries like the United States, France, and Italy. My guest today, Ethan Chorin, notes that Libya, if ignored, may be marginal for policy formation, but it's poisonous when neglected. A former U.S. diplomat who served in Libya and elsewhere in the Middle East, Ethan is the author of Bekhazi, a new history of the fiasco that pushed America and its world to the brink. Because he did not have bodyguards, Ethan skipped a dinner a decade ago with U.S. Ambassador Christopher Stevens at the U.S. Consulate in Benghazi. Mr. Stevens and three other Americans were killed that night in an attack by Islamic militants on the consulate. Republicans in the United States targeted then-U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for her handling of the attack making it a major issue in the 2016 presidential election in which he lost to Donald Trump. Ethan, welcome to the turbulent world. It's great to have you on the show. Yes, it's great great to be here. Uh, um, thank you very much for having me. It's a turbulent world indeed. Absolutely. And I'm tempted to kick off with the attack on the consulate a decade ago, but let's start with the floods that swept Eastern Libya in recent days. The internationally recognized government in Tripoli that has fought military battles with Haftar 
who was backed by countries like Russia and the United Arab Emirates, has rushed emergency aid to the region. Is this likely to be a one-off, or could it reshape Libya's political landscape? How much of this could be determined by who controls rescue and reconstruction efforts, as well as the flow of aid? Well, first of all, the uh, this is a this is an unprecedented catastrophe in uh, uh, in Libya, natural catastrophe. I think the uh, the the estimates at this point of how many people have been killed are uh, pushing upwards of ten, potentially ten thousand or more. Uh, Derna, the the city that has been uh, most uh, uh, devastated, uh, uh, was hit essentially by a tsunami that uh, uh, thirty meter. According to some reports, 30-meter-high uh, wall of water that rushed onto the onto the um, to the Wadi uh, uh, area there um, after the collapse of a dam that was built in the 1970s and hadn't been properly repaired. Um, so, uh, something like a third to a to a quarter of the city has been um, has just simply been wiped away. Um, so this is a this is a a desperate uh, like the Morocco quake a a desperate humanitarian issue. Um, I'm not sure about how much aid has actually been sent from uh, from Tripoli. Um, there have been reports of uh, that that some uh, that in fact some aid has been turned back. Whether that's accurate or not, who knows? Um, but I don't think that the Tripoli government has the capacity at this point to deal with this 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 magnitude of a disaster. So what does this mean politically, with other words, if you have basically two rival governments, neither of which uh, can come to the aid of what is a disaster indeed, uh, it's not just a tsunami, it's a breaking of two dams, and the reports, as you clearly mentioned, that some 10,000 people have not been accounted for, what does this mean, what's the political fallout of that? Well, that's unclear. Um, I certainly, I think there's there's more likely to be recriminations from uh, from the local population um, about uh, the you know the continuation of the of the feeling of uh, neglect and and conflict with the uh, with the the, the Western government. Um, I don't I don't see this as being uh, uh, a a something that could necessarily bring the the, the country. Together in the in the in the immediate term, unless uh, there is a, a you know what we need right now is international assistance on a, on a on a on a massive scale. Um, the political issues are, I mean, I think that the ten, the the trend at this point is is increasingly becoming a, a, a division between uh, east and west, and the question is not uh, so much uh, political unity as, as uh, how to distribute. Uh, resources uh, effectively. I've written a, a piece uh, recently that that uh, that argued that trying to this extended effort to try to force parties that are ideologically and otherwise uh, oil and water is is not going to wind up with a coherent. Um, uh, it's not going to end well. Let me. I, I want to come back to the future and whether or not unity is possible. Uh, and so on. But let's stick for just one moment with uh, something you just said about the uh, fallout of the flood. So people in eastern uh, Libya who are in desperate need of assistance are not getting it. 
who are they going to blame in the first place? Is that going to be uh, the government or Haftar's government in uh, Bekhazi or uh, and, and, and in Tobruk? Or is that going to be uh, the government, the internationally recognized government in Tripoli? I think there's a lot of blame to go go all around. Uh, you know, you could look at this as the natural result of of a failed uh, international intervention back in 2011. Um, the uh, political uh, fighting uh, and endless uh, reconstituted governments, etc., and a uh, a tradition whereby the the East feels uh, uh, rightly so, in, in many many ways, that the power center in the West has ignored and and starved them of resources. There have this dam. The, there are two dams that that that, that failed one after the other. But the the, the main larger one. Um, is uh, uh, has not been repaired apparently since 2002, um, and various I've heard that various parts, uh, pumps related to the dam sensors have been have been essentially looted, um, you know, by but who knows exactly whom, um, and uh, the dam is, um, you know, essentially there there were there were advance concerns expressed locally that the dam might 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 indeed break. Um, and, uh, so, uh, clearly there's going to be some local, local, uh, recriminations as, as, as well. Um, but I see this as being, uh, well, it's, it's an opportunity for the international community to express some real concern about the state of, uh, you know, to do something tangible and practical. There are very specific needs at the moment for medicine, shelter, um, all of the roads except one into Derna have been, have been severed. Um, this is going to require a, a an enormous uh, effort, um, and you know, disasters bring do do tend to bring people together in, in to some degree. In this case, whether it has a a uh, some sort of a positive political impact on on the on the country as a whole, I kind of doubt it. I think it will exacerbate the uh, ultimately the division between east and east and western governments. The problem, of course, with an international response is that you already have a massive need in Morocco, uh, and and it's going to be tough on the international community to address two of these crises of such magnitude simultaneously. Yes, uh, the Moroccan quake is an absolute disaster, obviously, um, and it did. Uh, you know, it took a took, took a while for the international media to uh, to pick up on what was going on in in, uh, in eastern Libya, partly because communications have been have been out and uh, the attention has not been so much on on, on Libya. Information is scarcer, um, but uh, the scale of the of the disaster in Libya could exceed uh, some of the worst estimates at this point. Um, Derna is a town of uh, uh, officially eighty thousand people. But the numbers are close to 110, 120, and conservative estimates uh, suggest that at least 10% of the population has just been washed out to sea. Right. I mean, this comes to the... all of the effects uh, on, on the rest of eastern Libya. And you have, you know, up, neighboring countries, Greece is also dealing with some of the aftermath of this, of this storm. Um, and the Libyans have just simply were not prepared to, uh, to cope with something like this. And all of this comes at a moment of uncertainty for the uh, for uh, Khalifa Haftar, particularly after the death of Wagner's com of the Wagner Group's commander 
Yevgeny Prigozhin in a plane crash in Russia last month. Uh, Russian Deputy Defense Minister Yunus ben Yukharov was quick to visit Haftar and Bekhazi amid uncertainty about the future of the relationship. What does that have on, uh, for what kind of an impact does that have on Haftar's positioning, particularly in the wake of the flood and the description that you just gave about uh, previous warnings that, uh, that the dams could break? Well, I don't see this as being, uh, I think the, the, the Wagner group is, uh, by all accounts, still, still very present in Benghazi. I don't see that that's been an issue for, for some time. I think the, uh, the, the Western government and the Prime Minister Beba are, are uh, probably, uh, uh, well, they're, they're experiencing their own pressures related to, uh, to the event that you alluded to earlier, this uh, uh, fiasco related to the U.S., to the um, uh, leaking of a uh, clandestine uh, contact between the foreign ministers of the Western government of uh, national uh, unity and the uh, Israeli for foreign minister in Rome, uh, which created a, which also connects to, uh, as does the Heftar uh, Wagner situation, to Libyan perceptions of what the Americans uh, are thinking and how to how to manage that relationship. Um, clearly, the Amer Americans uh, would would like there to be, uh, you know, as Libya to be as uh, separate from the, from 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 Russia as possible. Maybe this is a good moment to take a step back, and you can tell us how Libya, after the 2011 popular revolt that toppled Muammar Gaddafi, got to where it is today. Or maybe we have even have to go back further in time. Uh, to the 2001 uh, September 11 Al Qaeda attacks on New York and Washington. Yes, this is a this is a tough uh, tough question to answer, and it's a critical one because I think that uh, as you mentioned, I just wrote a book about uh, the uh, the antecedents and and uh, and consequences of the Benghazi attack in 2012 on U.S. foreign policy and domestic politics. That subject has become so taboo that essentially you can't touch it without uh, getting an immediate partisan uh, uh, sort of regurgitation on either either side. So, uh, but it it, it was uh, as you also um, uh, alluded to had a, a a substantial, if not decisive, impact on the 2016 elections as well as uh, America's general sort of uh, increased risk aversion across the board and in the, in in the, in the region. Um, and it does go back to 9/11. The attack in Benghazi was clearly—I mean, this this point has been uh, has been uh, sort of dodged or or for political reasons. But the uh, the attack in Benghazi was clearly the work of Al Qaeda. There's quite a bit of evidence that uh, suggests that the uh, that uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri, the uh, Al Qaeda head, uh, uh, was aware of it, uh, and that it may have been linked to other attacks around the same time. The mechanics of that are complicated. I, I, and a couple of other uh, uh, authors have gone into this in some detail. Um, but clearly, it's uh, you know the 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 Benghazi attack and the situation in, in in Libya. It has been dependent, has been conditioned by the 9/11 attacks and the U.S. Uh, response to them, which passes through the U.S. relationship with both past relationship with uh, uh, radical Islamists. Uh, who were both whom we both who were both clients and uh, and enemies uh, at various times over the last uh, two 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 to three decades, 
and uh, and General Heftar or Field Marshal Heftar, who has also been both a client and a uh, uh, somewhat aus- and aus- ostracized by the uh, by the U.S. and the international community. So what we're seeing today in Libya is a product of a series of co-optations and uh, attempts to to contain uh, a situation um, that at one point was manageable, but now has become so complicated, so convoluted that one can't see how it can can be put together in any way that that, that affords it a, uh, a political legitimacy uh, required for 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 durability. Uh, and without reverting to outright uh, dictatorship or, auto- or autocracy, um, the only real approach that I can see is is uh, to to approach this from a uh, bottom up uh, re- reconstruction at, uh, posture rather than a top down you know uh, dictation by international uh, uh, diktat that uh, that this is the government that that Lib- Libyans need. And the elections are a problem, you know, currently are, are a, uh, a real problem because no, none of the major figures uh, in power right now have any real interest in, in elections because they're polling uh, miserably um, on all sides. So nobody wants to, to let, 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 go of, let go of power. Um, and the, the, the divisions are bitter. Yeah. Um, well, partly come back to that uh, a little bit later. Um, just, uh, just for clarity reasons, when you say the United States have, uh, at one point worked with radical Islamists, I assume you're talking about the uh, about Afghanistan and the anti-Soviet jihad. Well, that's that was the first point of contact, uh, and then uh, once the um, after 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 uh, well, there was the 2003 rapprochement between uh, the U.S. and and Libya, which involved basically rehabilitating Gaddafi in order to largely fit the the narrative of democracy promotion and uh, some sort of positive knock on effect from um, from the Iraq War when things were going out of going horribly there. Um, the U.S. wanted uh, all sorts of things from Gaddafi, uh, uh, but but one of them was uh, a a model reforming process in which we were not invest particularly invested but both Gaddafi and uh, the United States uh, to some degree well Gaddafi certainly realized that his major enemies were the Islamic uh, Libyan Islamic fighting group which had been trying to kill him for for uh, uh, since the early 90 early 90s um, and that he had this major uh, uh, radical Islamist issue and opposition from the Muslim Brotherhood uh, in you know, prim- primarily located in the in the east. So, um, in any case, the the U.S. in order to essentially uh, help prop up uh, the 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 uh, Gaddafi government, the U.S. Uh, uh, and advance the the cause of of the war on terror, the United States and the U.K. and uh, with its help from from other countries, went and essentially kidnapped and rendered. Uh, various the senior membership of the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, which was time allied with uh, with Al Qaeda, back to 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 Libya for a uh, uh, what what was termed a a, um, uh, a review process, uh, um, uh in which they would uh, uh, publicly the the goal was to get them to publicly renounce 
their uh, association with Al-Qaeda and commit to democratic uh, processes. Um, the, the, so the problem, so, so they went from uh, essentially being uh, occasional, occasional allies uh, against Gaddafi to potential, uh, to then enemies of the state, to then potential allies in uh, essentially preserving a fragile status quo under Gaddafi. Um, and uh, nobody uh, at the time predicted the Arab Spring, uh, which essentially opened up the, the field to, uh, to all players. And uh, certainly the Islamist parties were, and organizations were far more prepared to negotiate that process and benefit from it than, um, uh, than any, sec any so-called, uh, not secular, but uh, um, non-religiously non, uh, non focused ideological, uh, non-ideological party. So essentially... The attack on the on the Benghazi mission was really uh, a, an effort to, uh, I believe, a, a part of a broader effort to destabilize a country that was rapidly destabilizing, given the political vacuum that was created by the the international the U.S. NATO international intervention. We essentially left the country uh, with, without we encouraged democracy promotion, but uh, did very little to try to um, to build. Uh, to, to engage in state building, so essentially we, we replicated the uh, the mistake of, uh, of Iraq, thinking that the uh, we being the United States, thinking that the Europeans were going to come in and uh, pick up the pieces. But they, of course, operate on political cycles as well, and uh, did not have the capacity or the or the political will to um, to to help put put Libya back together again. Um, so you have a huge missed opportunity there. Um, I. As an aside, I felt that the revolution was a very positive, uh, even though I did not agree with the uh, the, the mission creep, as, uh, as Secretary Gates uh, predicted, and the toppling of, of Gaddafi in the way that he, he was. Uh, I think that the Libyan people deserved a much better much better government than they had at that point, and there was an opportunity to to um, to actually help uh, remake the country, but. The needs were were very specific and very deep, and they simply were not addressed. Indeed, that seems to be a repeating pattern in in U.S. policy or in Western uh, European policy too, of not following through. But but as you as you mentioned before, the the consequences were enormous, and I don't actually think that the American public or the public at large uh, uh, in Europe, for example, understands just how catastrophic. Uh, bungling the, the, the Libya has 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 been, um, you know. Look at uh, coups in Mali and Niger, uh, arms movements from you know across the Sahel into uh, into into the Sinai and uh, um, support for radical groups in in Syria, and it, it basically shaped and conditioned the 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 Obama administration's approach to uh, to foreign policy. Um, away from tricky problems that that would enable the American right to to essentially take uh, um, free fall pot shots at, at that. So everything became uh, extremely cautious. And I think that that has that has become uh, uh, a real liability with respect to us policy. you you just said I'd, li I'd like you to expand on that. You just I think if I understood you correctly, uh implicitly was was uh, uh 
were saying that the destabilization of Libya uh, contributed to the destabilization of West Africa, if you wish, with you know what we've seen about seven coups in three years across the region, most recently in Niger uh, and in Gabon. Um, tell us a little bit more how Libya played into that and how or the destabilization of Libya played into that. Yeah, well, uh, the um, of course, uh, <clears throat> there, there's a whole dynamic in Libya south uh, with respect to the uh, the Tugu and the Tuareg uh, uh, who have political connections in those all of those con- all of those countries. Um, Tuareg is a tribe that that is uh, uh, crosses a number of borders in the region. Right. Okay. So there are long-standing uh, enmities uh, along the border there. And with the um, and uh, and of course many of these states have been facing their own uh, in the Sahel events. They're facing long protracted uh, warfare against uh, Islamists of various flavors, and uh, uh, most obviously uh, the, the you know the decade-long Algerian Algerian war, etc. Um, but with the intervention, essentially Libya became a looting ground for weapons that. Uh, that super that essentially supercharged all of these conflicts as various groups fled Libya into the into these countries and uh, essentially helped create opposition groups or empowered opposition groups that uh, uh, you know the comp- the the perturbations of which are many but you know essentially I don't think there's any real doubt that without uh, without the that the that the Libyan um, uh, situation the 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 uh, Political implosion of Libya became what the ouster of Gaddafi became a uh, uh, a torch for uh, for 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 the Sahel. Um, various various French intelligence reports that were published uh, after afterward were very clear that if, if Libya if Gaddafi goes, uh, that uh, you know their problems would increase exponentially. We both alluded uh, to the uh, meeting between the Israeli and the um, uh, Libyan foreign ministers uh, in Rome recently. And as, as, as mentioned before, Libya seems to be one of the most unlikely candidates for engagement with Israel. What do you see as the reason for the meeting? And how much is this potentially driven by wanting to earn brownie points in Washington? And what are the domestic drivers here? Well, I think the uh, uh, as you as you put it, certainly the the, the most uh, current uh, or prevalent view is that is just that that uh, the the government of uh, in in Libya's west uh, was looking for the government of national unity, recognized by the international community, was looking for brownie points with the United States uh, in terms of advancing uh, um, uh, the peace Arab Israeli peace process that was kicked. That was energized, however you want to put it, by the Abraham Accords of 2020, um, and uh, uh, you know there has been a, a current of uh, both Israeli or Israeli uh, Jew, Jews of, of Libyan origin and some in Libya for you know contacts that date back uh, to the to the Gaddafi times, but um, the uh, I think it I think it was just a it was just a a botched uh, effort on all sides, and I, I I believe that the Israelis did not did not actually think that the uh, um, that this meeting 
was going to turn into anything because Libya is not in a position to negotiate anything at the moment, given its politi political divisions and fragility and the fact that its government, you know, who knows how long it's going to last. Um, I think that that was an opportunity that a, that a calculation was made in in uh, uh, in Jerusalem that the uh, uh, better to take some bird in the hand and uh, claim credit for uh, for the, for the meeting than um, than actually invest in some kind of a process, real process. So, and the question of whether you know the Israeli media has been uh, has been full of also recriminations about who and why and. Uh, um, you know, would the, would this affect the uh, the uh, the peace process? You know, the respective peace process with Saudi Arabia, etc. Um, I think it's basically a red herring with respect to Saudi Arabia. The calculations are very different, and everybody can sort of see what's happening in in in, in Libya and why this would come up. But it doesn't reflect well on anyone. So. Obviously, the 2012 attack on the consulate in which Ambassador Stevens was killed, was a watershed moment for Libya. But it also left an indelible mark on the United States and on European countries. And you alluded to that uh, earlier, but I wonder whether you could spell what that mark is uh, and how that mark continues, uh, continues to exist until today, if you could expand on that uh, in, in greater detail. Yes, well... Uh, the Benghazi attack certainly left a, a, a huge uh, in, uh, mark not only on on Libya and and many of the neighboring countries uh, in terms of their political level of political chaos um, uh, and, and disunity, um, but uh, it, it it was a watershed moment in American political history. Um, that fact, I think, has been obscured by the by the politicization by the very politic politicization of that event back home in the United States. Benghazi became a taboo subject uh, and was characterized or summarized on both sides, selectively picked information and created their own two narratives, some of which was true and some of mu much of it which was false. Um, and the American public became so incredibly uh, uh, turned off of the whole, whole issue that one couldn't, one can't even 10 years later really penetrate that that shell and explain to what degree Benghazi essentially served as a kindling for uh, polar a, a, a step step up in American polarization and uh, ultimately the uh, the election of, uh, of Donald Trump. Benghazi more than you know it's it's interesting there have been a couple of new uh, sort of reflections on the Trump presidency and it's it's quite shocking to me that Benghazi is never mentioned as a factor in, in, uh, in that outcome, um, because, uh, all of the, of the senior officials on, and many on both sides of the, the aisle that I interviewed for my, for my book on, on, on the broader impact of Benghazi, um, have, have said very openly that, uh, you know, regardless of what, what's been said in the media, Benghazi was the, uh, the issue that, that, uh, decided the 2016 election simply because it was the, the common denominator of uh, every other uh, issue that's been cited as a factor, major factor in the uh, in the 2016 election, and it, all of that goes back to the to 9/11 and the, the circumstances in which the Obama administration was born, which was highly conditioned by the Iraq War and the War on Terror, and and it had to create a narrative against that, 
and there was a constant fear within within the Democratic Party that that they were and rightly so that the Republicans would come back and use any anything that looked like it might have uh, uh, might indicate a resurgence of Al Qaeda or uh, uh, or uh, a failure of the war on terror against them. And I think that uh, that the uh, as I explain in the book, I think the uh, the punchline here is that the the uh, the Democrat the, the the Republicans were looking for a fight, and the Democrats were looking to escape from a fight. And uh, by uh, by doing that, uh, essentially made the 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 administration made the problem that could have been um, managed uh, worse. Although I'm not blaming. I try very hard in this book uh, not to uh, to assign the not to be a part partisan uh, uh, force, but to uh, to to explain the mechanics. How did this happen, and what do we not know about the Benghazi, Benghazi situation? Everybody has an opinion, but most of them are are simply incorrect. I was on the ground. Uh, I I was. Uh, I was, was going to say this. This seems to be you a per also a personal issue. You were in Benghazi. Uh, Ambassador Stevens was a friend of yours. You were supposed to be the dinner at the uh, in the consulate at the moment of the attack, and uh, at the at the last minute decided not to go. So this is not just something you're looking at from afar. It's also something very personal for you. Yes, and when I came back, I I, I waited and uh, took us a day and a half to get out of, out of Benghazi. I was no longer a U.S. official. I was working on a medical infrastructure project. And when I finally got back to the United States a week later, I got a call as my plane was landing from the Wall Street Journal asking me to comment on a video. And I had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. This, of course, was the uh, anti-Islamic video uh, that that uh, was was cited as the uh, as the as the proximate cause of the. Um, this was a the, burning. If I can recall correctly, it was a burning of a, a Quran, possibly in Florida. It was just, there was a connection, a loose connection with the person who, who behind that. Um, but the, it was a video created by, uh, a, a, an Egyptian American in Los Angeles, um, that basically didn't go anywhere, but then was dubbed into Arabic a few, few, uh, a few days before, uh, 9-11. And, um, as I also explained in the book, I think that was a purposeful, uh, attempt to rile rile up the public uh, before before 9/11. Um, so the video did have a, did play a role in the Benghazi attack and the uh, and the other uh, protests around the the Islamic world, um, but it was not the uh, not in the way that the um, that the media and the the administration claimed, or, or even the, uh, the the Republicans. Right. If you look back. What lessons do you think should be learned from the attack? Well, this that's <laughs> a, it's a, I think basically uh, one problem is uh, these are these are historical problems with the U.S. foreign policy that we tend to have a very short attention span. We don't invest because of our own political domestic political problems. We don't uh, you know the the foreign service and uh, other other professional bureaucracies don't get the funding and the attention they deserve. They've become polarized. I think uh, the the Iraq War uh, started. You know, this wasn't this didn't originate with the Iraq War, but I think there again there was a step function up in mani political manipulation of 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 data on the uh, from the from work from on the organizational level that just continued. Um, so it's not uh, so these 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 things. It's like uh, 
the example I give is the universe, you know, uh, major universities in the U.S. In, in, you know, you, you, you decimate the, the top 10 percent of your faculty and you no longer have an, a prestigious university. You've got a uh, so this is the uh, this is what's facing the uh, the United States is uh, and Secretary Blinken said as much just before he took took office as secretary that uh, you know okay he, he was speaking specifically about the Trump administration saying that uh, you know the, the Foreign Service was essentially you know Trump opened the door and let a whole bunch of people out and that it would take two decades to repair the damage but the problem is that 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 process has been going on for far longer than the, than the Trump administration. Trump was more like a very active uh, uh, symptom of the problem. So I think the, the lessons are that, that uh, it's not just, uh, you know, the threats to democracy come in, in various uh, guises. And uh, one is the one has to have an independent, uh, somewhat transparent uh, and factful uh, uh, foreign policy and security uh, community that shares information. You know, these are the same lessons that, that from from nine eleven essentially, and that you know essentially we can't we can't do half measures. We can't go and uh, um, you know th there's a there's a happy medium. I don't know, probably an unhappy medium be here between uh, outright uh, intervention and doing nothing. And in, in the case of Libya, we we intervened in a country that had promising prospects. Many of the the points that were articulated by people, including Ambassador Stevens, as to why we should help in Benghazi back in 2011, remain valid today. Um, low population, high wealth, um, uh, uh, lack of overt sectarian uh, divides. Of course, this has now been taken over by uh, by a multitude of uh, of, uh, of uh, sort of quasi tribal and uh, uh, military and criminal activities. Um, when you don't have, when you when you take away the center uh, or the the, the 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 structure as dysfunctional as it was in Libya, dysfunctional or dis dysfunctional and functional uh, as they were in Libya and Iraq, you uh, you have you have to leave some you have to create a re something uh, something to replace it, or else you have people revert to their to the to the, to the lowest common denominator to survive. Um, so I think there are a lot of lessons there. Of course, it also also touches on 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 electoral reform in the United States that we've got a system that that uh, that simply doesn't function uh, properly uh, and is is subjected to wild swings based on on ideology, not uh, not not uh, reality. Um, and this is of course a global phenomenon. Uh, so it's not not just limited to the states. As I mentioned in the book, there's a huge impact also on the timing of the development of certain aspects of social media and the Benghazi attack. That without, I mean, I actually interviewed a number of experts on uh, sort of the evolution of social media, and they all point to that one period just be, just around the, uh, the 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 uh, the attack on the on the mission in Benghazi as as the as the time frame in which social media could become weaponized and turn and and actively be be exploited by other countries and people in the United States to, to, to put people into uh, to extremes. And, and I guess the broader point is, if you look at, from the, at the history of the United States since the September 11th, uh, the original uh, uh, Al-Qaeda attack, uh, you know, I don't think that bin Laden and his deputies could ever imagine in their wildest dreams they could do as much damage 
as they have done to, to the United States by essentially creating not just external harm or internal specific destruction, but uh, ideological conflict within the United States. Um, and that point has been made in a couple of op-eds, but I don't think that uh, the general public understands just just how successful uh, the baiting of, of the Bush administration on uh, ideological grounds, you know, and the Bush, you know, uh, contributed to America's current problems. And I like to say, I say that essentially Benghazi has, has really shaped the, the world we live in today just as much as the original 9-11 did. Um, but we're not going to learn any lessons until we learn that, uh, until we understand that. Indeed. But what you're, but what you're basically saying is that Benghazi is one of the first examples of uh, the impact of manipulation on, for, on, on, on social media. Is that correct? Yes, I, 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 I do. It is. I, I think it is the, uh, I think I called it the, you know, one of the original uh, social media scandals. Uh, without without uh, social media, you know, it's sort of like you can look back uh, at other points in the development of the of uh, uh, the internet and uh, and, and uh, media technology and how it's how it surprised uh, presidents and officials in the past. A number of studies have been done in Italy on this on this issue as well. I got much of much of the information from a number of Italian uh, uh, data scientists who were working on this question of how a polarization in Italian politics. As as links to specific uh, advances in social social media, I, I think it would be interesting if you could sort of spell a spell out a little bit more in the case, a, a, a sort of as a case study in the case of Benghazi, who did what to whom on the uh, on social media. Uh, here, or I have done so in my book, but. Uh, uh, Social, you know, I, I think if you look at the, um, you know, there, there there are several books that actually uh, go through in minute detail the the portrayal of Hillary Clinton on social media and the, the effect of memes, and the and the bots that uh, propagated those memes and the connections with foreign powers, and you know the the uh, the and political parties within the United States. Foreign powers like, well, the Russians. For one, um, you know, essentially America was exposed and not enough people, while I think a number of, of individuals in the Obama administration realized just how toxic the situation was becoming and were putting more and more resources into defenses, which is part of the problem. You can't blame the, you know, on some level, you can't blame the Obama administration for having to create these structures to defend against uh, attack because th that was a reality at the time and getting worse. Uh, on the other hand, uh, that preoccupation uh, led them into other other situations from which were essentially very harmful to the to the administration's legacy or hoped for legacy. If that makes sense. No, it certainly does. Um, I guess finally, Libya is a fractured country, and in many ways, an artificial country. It's also a country in which both nonviolent Islamists and jihadists play an important role on both sides of the divide. How problematic is the role of, the, on the one hand, the nonviolent Islamists, on the other, the jihadists, as well as the role of foreign powers like Russia, the UAE, and Turkey 
that have lined up behind one or the other rival in Libya? And does Libya at all have a future as a unified country? <laughs> that's that's five questions in one. Uh, I think, uh, uh, first of all, the uh, on the Islamist question. I mean, this is this is uh, it, it, it's this is a very interesting question, and I think it also comes to the heart of like the United States really didn't understand who was who in in Libya, just as it didn't understand who was who when when the U.S. embassies in uh, in Tanzania and Kenya were bombed back in 1998, which had a Libya connection, by the way. Um, okay. Differences between sorry, I said I didn't realize that. Yes, uh, you know the 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 Libyans were for very specific reasons, uh, I think seen as, seen by the Al Qaeda senior leadership as a prime uh, pool from which to which to recruit. They were exiled from their country. Gaddafi was uh, you know was hot on their tails, and um, they were very keen on going back and and getting rid of the regime. Um, so they were very, very highly motivated. Um, but the connections between, you know, there's a long, this goes back to this sort of the, uh, etymology of, 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 of Islamist groups and, um, and their, uh, offshoots, uh, uh, transitions and manipulations by other, other powers. Um, so all of this stuff, uh, as I alluded to, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, the United States flirtation with some of these groups uh, sort of opened and, and lack of consistent attention to what was going on in Libya and, and, and uh, the connections between these groups and other groups along the spectrum of, is, of Islamism, political Islam, um, made us essentially sitting ducks. Uh, and everyone in the, in, the, in the region knew that if you attack the United States, you know, dating back to the 1983 bombing of the U.S. barracks and Marine barracks in Beirut, the U.S. will leave. And, uh, you know, when I was standing on the tarmac in, in Benghazi, hoping to get on the last flight out after the attack, I was thinking just this, that the United States should not leave. The, the instinct is going to be to leave Benghazi, but this should not be the case. This is an opportunity to, uh, you know, because the, the death, not to, uh, to emphasize the current situation, the dam would break. Um, and as far as the, I think you were referring, uh, alluding to the, the like the madhalis, the this this. Uh, well, uh, I, yeah, I was referring to on the one hand, let's say, uh, you know, nonviolent Islamists. I'm not sure I would, I would uh, define the madhalis. Just to be clear, the madhalis are followers of a uh, very prominent Saudi cleric, who. Uh, is the quietest, with other words, he does not uh, favor engagement in um, uh, in politics, but he does uh, preach absolute obedience to the ruler. And Madhulis <laughs> played uh, uh, have played a major role in the uh, in Benghazi within the uh, militia of uh, Field Marshal Khalifa Haftar, and so they're also. They're also on the on, on the on the, they're playing both both sides. Uh, the Madhalis right. have a very strong presence within the uh, uh, deterrence force in uh, special deterrence force that's part of the uh, the the apparatus in uh, uh, in, in in Tripoli, um, and their allegiances shift back and forth according to very very uh, generally speaking, who's who's got the power. Um, right. 
what they don't do is advocate, you know, they, they were originally against the intervention, U.S., you know, the intervention in Libya, and, you know, therefore, ostensibly, um, they are Salafists in the true sense of the word, but they are for uh, the maintenance of, pow uh, of power uh, for the greater for the greater good, regardless of whether the power is uh, just or, or not. Um, Absolutely. So my my question was was twofold. One is I was making a distinction between nonviolent Islamists and uh, violent jihad, uh, Islamists, who usually are jihadists. And so my question was, how much of a role do both the nonviolent uh, Islamists as well as the jihadists play uh, in Libya, and how problematic is that? And then the second part of that question was uh, essentially the same for the foreign powers, Russia, the United States, uh, the United Arab Emirates, Turkey, that have lined up both behind either Haftar or the government in Tripoli. Okay, for the first question, the, the Islamist question is central to the to the evolution of the of the Libya problem. Um, you know, the uh, as as you as you mentioned, the the Benghazi attack was just sort of the the manifestation of a uh, a, a degree of influence that uh, would only increase after after the U.S. and other other parties left left Benghazi, um, and you know they they are present in 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 every every facet of. Uh, of the political situation in their various guises, whether madhalis or uh, you know qu quietists or or uh, or strategic or, str or strategists or um, you know or the Muslim Brotherhood, um, the question of 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 you know Isl political Islam has been present in Libya for a long time, obviously, and and, and the major source was was Egypt uh, since the you know uh, since since the, the the years of Nasser. When many of the Brotherhood leaders uh, fled to to Libya for for sanctuary, but it's complicated because obviously the uh, the, the sort of the the original uh, you know for 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 a couple of centuries the main Islamist current in 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 a very conservative country that is Libya was the uh, Senussiya, which is a Sufi order, which is for which many of these groups see as a uh, as heretical. Um, or ap or form ap apostasy. So um, uh, th these these conflicts are are rife. The qu the question is how much has the the intervention uh, in 2011 changed the nature of the of of, of Libyan society? You're you're not you're not. One point that I make uh, quite frequently is that you know given the, the demographics of Libya and the fact that in 2011 I think 70 percent of the population was under 30, the age of 30. You've got a whole huge generation of people who, for whom Gaddafi was not the the main figure in their conscious lives, um, and have been influenced by a variety of ideologies that were not endemic to Libya. Now that's a historical process, and you can say, okay, that we have to deal with the reality as it is now, um, but it requires thoughts and 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 an understanding of these these dynamics, which I think is one of the the um, the problems with the the West is the West generally speaking I would describe their treatment of Libya as one of uh, containment rather than under, understanding of how the of, of these these dynamics make sure that the migrants don't don't uh, make it to the shores of uh, of Europe and make sure that the te that terrorism doesn't uh, doesn't spread 
Um, and as far as the outside powers like uh, Turkey, Emirates, etc., all of them have their regional interests. Um, and uh, regardless of what you think of, e of them and their validity, um, they're advancing their, the, the you know, uh, there's a, they each have their own logic. Um, the, the Gulf states are, uh, particularly Emirates and, and, and Saudi Arabia are working against uh, what they perceive to be uh, radical Islamist, Islamist takeover. And Turkey and and, uh, and 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 its allies look at, uh, uh, at Libya as an opportunity to expand their uh, you know um, uh, uh, reach to a to a former uh, Ottoman uh, uh, territory and and uh, lay claim to to com to uh, economically viable assets. So you know Libya has become a proxy battleground. Um, and but the threats I mean, are are clear. I think that's um, uh, and and the question, of course, becomes how do you uh, disentangle all of these all of these elements, which just and and then you have the the, the international community coming in and essentially picking and choosing uh, among governments, and uh, we'll take a bit of the elected uh, constituencies here and merge them with an appointed group here, and uh, hopefully we'll. We'll have something that'll work. Just simply compounds the problem because you've lost any thread of le legitimacy, uh, and uh, so where do you go at the, at the moment? Where do you, where do you go? I mean, everybody keeps prompt saying, "Oh, the the, the well, elections are going to come soon," but I, I don't see that happening any anytime soon. Um, you know, the uh, it's an, it's become an it's absent a a a a real uh, sort of. Um, radical act as in you know a, a an occupation or so, some other unforeseen circumstance how you how you deal with this is uh it is, is a major i think that's why the, the international community isn't are precisely engaged in this policy of containment they don't want as as with Gaddafi. um i mean you mentioned the question of, of whether libya you know that libya's history as a state you also have to realize that you know Libya is a very young state, and the other metaphor that I that I that I really like in in, in trying to understand Libya and its dynamics is the notion of uh, Libya as a vast sand sea uh, upon which there are are islands, uh, you know, small islands and populations, mostly along the coast, uh, all of which have their own individual sort of unique uh, culture and history to some degree. It's sort of like a Darwinian. Uh, scenario here and they they have their affinities and their their historical differences um and uh um you know uh, basically the events of the last 10 years have essentially shake shaken the uh the mix and added added new ingredients um and uh yeah it's a real dilemma on that pessimistic note uh, unless you have something you would uh, want to add as a last-minute thought, I'm afraid we just simply run out of time. Time's not our friend, even though we could have gone on for much longer. Is there anything you want to add uh, to this? Yeah, I, I, would, I would. I would appeal to uh, for uh, uh, for international international aid to the to the victims in uh, eastern Libya because I think that's uh, at the moment that is a 
truly horrific situation that 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 requires assistance, and we can provide it. I mean, the uh, uh, so. Um, Ethan, thank you for a fascinating conversation. Obviously, Libya is not going away as a more important story than many recognize. And I look forward to having you back on the show. I hope this conversation inspires readers and listeners to get a copy of Ethan's book of Bekhazi, A New History of the Fiasco That Pushed America and Its World to the Brink, published by Hachette Books. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to The Turbulent World. The Turbulent World is a reader and listener-supported column and podcast. Voluntary paid subscribers allow me to cover the cost of production and ensure the widest possible distribution. You can subscribe at www.jamesmdorsey.substack.com. Thank you for tuning in today. Best wishes and take care. Thank you.